Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to New Books in Middle Eastern Studies. I'm your host, Carl Morand. Today I'm talking with Vijay Mahajan, author of the new book, The Arab World Unbound, Tapping into the Power of 350 Million Consumers. Vijay is a professor of business at the University of Texas at Austin. As part of his research for this book, he talked to everyone from CEOs of multinational corporations to small-town shop owners. His book shows the tremendous business potential in the Arab world, and explains what must be done to capitalize on it. Vijay goes into detail about the diversity in the Arab world and how it is critical to not assume that everyone living in the Arab world has the same beliefs or background. The book also illustrates the role Arab women play in the marketplace and how new technology and social media are affecting commerce. Vijay, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. If you could, could you start by telling us a little bit about yourself, about your academic and professional background, and what led you to write this book? Okay, thank you so much, Carl. It's a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, My professional background, I'm a chemical engineer uh, by profession in the sense that I had my bachelor and master's degree both in chemical engineering, and then I did my PhD in management. And uh, then just by accident, I just happened to be in marketing for many, many years now. And so in marketing, I do research on uh, marketing uh, strategy. I do research on uh, uh, the methodologies and so on and so forth. Uh, But in the last, uh, I would say, 10 years, uh, I kind of got interested in the developing countries. And so one could say this is not my mainstream research, academic research, so this is kind of my passion, uh, just to tell the stories of uh, developing countries. And so I uh, uh, I did my first book called The 86% Solution, and uh, the, which was at that time published by the Wharton School Publishing. And the reason it's called 86% solution is because 86% of the world population uh, lives in developing countries. And definition of that being that uh, uh, the, the, the countries where the GDP per capita is less than 10,000 US dollars, uh, those are the called uh, developing countries. So, uh, and it was amazing for me to even myself find out that 86% of the world lives in those countries. So that book, uh, uh, I try to argue that uh, 14% of us who are very blessed to be in the developed world, uh, we have to change our mindset, So what I call as 2,400 square feet mindset. And the reason I call it 2,400 square feet mindset is because the average size of the house in the U.S. is 2,400 square feet. So whatever I was teaching my students, whatever consulting that I was doing for my companies in the U.S., uh, I mean, even I had a 2,400 square feet mindset in the sense that, uh, you know, we're all blessed to have a living room and a family room and uh, uh, the, the two, three televisions at home and two, three cars and uh, 
so our sizes are very big. Uh, buy one get one free, and so 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 then that's a mindset that I wanted to argue that uh, we have to really change. And then book talked about how do we change that mindset. So for example, the size of the house itself is an example. So space management is an issue. And then there was uh, and that book did well. I was quite proud to finish that and uh, write that. And then also received the, the best book award from American Marketing Association in 2007. And then there was some criticism, interesting enough, not from uh, from the U.S., but some of my European readers that I didn't have much to say about Africa, uh, although I was writing a book on the developing countries. And but I couldn't convince myself what to write about Africa. I had never gone there. I had never done any consulting there. Never taught there. Um, and but more I started digging into that, the the more I kind of got excited. Uh, for example, when I took at that time all the the countries in Africa, 50, more than 50 countries, and added their uh, GDP, that is the economy, and also the population. So, uh, to my great surprise, I discovered that uh, the, the the population was more or less like China and India, and GDP actually was higher than India. And many of the countries had a GDP per capita, uh, GDP per capita more than China. So that kind of got me interest, uh, excited. So actually, I traveled for uh, three years. This was back in 2004, 2005, 2006, around that time. This is before. Now you hear so many people talking about uh, Africa, what a great opportunity it is. Uh, in fact, in today's New York Times, there's an article about uh, Hillary Clinton in uh, Africa, and she has taken a delegation of uh, a U.S. executive, and at that time, the only impression we had about Africa was that uh, uh, it's a charity case. So that book came out in uh, publication date is 2009, but it came out 2008, and it, uh, I was quite happy about that because it changed the conversation on Africa. And I was afraid that Africans may not like that because I was kind of trying to change their perception, but uh, luckily, even they liked it. Uh, because they wanted the rest of the world to know uh, that Africa was uh, not simply a charity case. So, so I traveled quite extensively. Uh, I mean, I had interviewed many, many companies, and uh, in the beginning, they were reluctant to talk to me. Why would an American professor would come and uh, write, uh, uh, you know, about a billion people, billion consumers in uh, Africa, and what a great opportunity? Uh, they offer, and that opportunity is not any different from China and India. So, now coming to your question, what made me write this uh, the new book, the Other World Unbound book? And so, when I was traveling there uh, the, in Africa, so I did go to North Africa. I was in Morocco, I was in Algeria, I was in Tunisia, then I also went to Egypt. And uh, but I was looking at those countries as African countries, and I was quite amazed actually what I saw there. Uh, you know, the, the consumers were not any different uh, than the consumers here uh, in the sense that uh, they want the best for their children, uh, they want the best uh, uh, education, uh, the, they may not have as much money as we do, but uh, uh, the, they were looking for the same things. And so then I kept on thinking, I said, you know, there's there got to be a story here. Uh, the All that we hear is... Uh, you know the 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 how bad uh, the Middle East is, 
that uh, there got to be some interesting uh, things going on if that's what I'm finding in North Africa. And uh, luckily, the three, four co companies have been kind of with me uh, right from the beginning. They kind of like what I do. And uh, so they helped me with the visas and uh, uh, opened the doors uh, in the many countries for me. And that's uh, the Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Procter & Gamble. So I, then I approached the same companies. I said, is there a story in the, the other world? Uh, because I don't know much about that. And all that I hear is, uh, you know, the stereotypes. And uh, so they were quite helpful, actually. So they say, yeah, yeah, there, there, there's a lot going on here. And, uh, and there's nothing has been written uh, on the Arab consumers, even by the Arabs themselves. And uh, so, so I kind of thought for a moment, the, then I decided just that I was going to jump into that and see what I find. Uh, if I don't find, then at least I would have seen some very interesting places. Uh, but I was quite amazed, actually. So again, I traveled for about three years. Uh, 2008, uh, right after the Africa book came out. In fact, I was thinking about this before that. So 2008, 2009, and 2010, just before the Arab Spring started. So I traveled for three years. So there are 22 countries in the Arab League. Uh, and the three, I was not planning to go anyhow, Somalia and <coughs> Cameroon and Djibouti. Uh, and but 19 others I was hoping to travel, but then I could not go to Iraq uh, because we, my university does not have a travel uh, insurance there. So so that's you know they consider that a very high risk. And uh, but other 18 I was able to travel. So I traveled in 18 countries. Um, it was very exciting. Met many many uh, uh, companies, local and multinational advertising agencies, marketing research companies. Uh, did many interviews with the uh, uh, with the consumers, uh, the and so so that's what you see here. Uh, you know, for three years of travel and uh, hundreds and hundreds of interviews and market visits. So that's what the book that you see uh, that came out. In the book, you have uh, lots of accounts of meetings uh, with individuals in the Arab world. Could you talk about? Uh, sort of the research process and how you went about setting up these meetings and what people's reaction there was when you told them what you were trying to do? Well, <laughs> that's a very good question. Uh, well, like I said, you know, though I had a contact with the Unilever, Coca-Cola, and P&G, so, so for sure I knew that at least three companies will be able to uh, speak with me and help me to do some market visits. So question there is uh, how do you contact the rest? So, but I think uh, after writing the 86% solution and Africa Rising, I had become a little bit smarter in the sense that uh, I had learned to listen and be patient. And uh, and as you know, just like in Africa, in the Middle East also, the same question was, who is this guy? Why is he coming here? Why he wants to write about us? Uh, but I think that the, the, after I had some interviews and uh, the, many of the people were quite happy that uh, I was asking the right question. And uh, as a marketer, uh, the, you know, I was more interested in uh, just like the Africa Rising book and 86% solution book. I kind of give a positive, uh, the, a positive, uh, the story, a positive, uh, the, the, the angle. 
in the sense that we all hear the negative stories about Africa and the rest of developing countries. They have infrastructure problems and, uh, you know, the, the, the diseases and uh, religion. So, so what I was trying to find out was that underneath all of that, uh, the consumers are consumers and entrepreneurs are entrepreneurs. So, so the, the, the entrepreneurs, uh, you know, bad infrastructure, good infrastructure, no infrastructure, they're always going to find a way to satisfy the needs of the consumers. Be that be to buy a candy, or be that be to buy a uniform for the child, uh, be that be to uh, buy a gift uh, at, the, at, the, the, at the, during the, you know, their holidays, religious holidays. And so I think uh, I just decided that I was going to listen. I had no pre-plan. I had no idea what the organization of the book I was going to look like. And my publishers also knew that because, you know, typically they ask you to give a table of the contents and the organization of the chapters. And some of the big publishers, if you don't give that, they don't want to publish it. So, in fact, some of them I approached, they told me that. So... But the, I think that my, the, you know, because unless I really dive into that, I knew that I was not going to find anything uh, by just uh, the, the reading the book here. So, so I think I the, the and once you go there, you know, the one person talks to you, and uh, if you ask the right question, they say, "Oh yeah, yeah, let me tell you, there's somebody else that you should talk to." And so before I knew. Uh, the, the, you know, after two, three visits, everybody was willing to help. Uh, they wanted to open up. They wanted to tell the, the, who their consumers are. They, they wanted to tell what works, what does not work. And so, so I think, the, the just the patience and, uh, uh, be a good listener, uh, that really worked for me. And by the time I finished all that, then, uh, you know, uh, that's what we academic, academics do. Uh, we try to put our acad- academic hat and try to find some trends. And uh, so so that's what you see in the book. That's how the various chapters came along. One of the things you seem to stress in the book is that most Arab consumers just want to purchase the best products for them and their family and that they generally don't... Uh, care where exactly those products come from or which company it is. Did you find that there was uh, much friction between sort of on-the-street vendors and local merchants and large companies that are trying to expand over into the Arab world? Well, sure. The first, you know, first thing we have to keep in mind is that uh, this is a region uh, where the, the world three religions have come from. You know, when you look at the Christianity and you look at uh, Islam and you look at Judaism. And uh, so, so up front I knew that if uh, that's the case, I mean, uh, something exciting happens in this, in this part of the world. Otherwise, we would not have three major religions uh, coming out of uh, this, you know, the, the, this part of the world. And interesting enough, uh, the, then the, 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 when you start looking at that data, you realize that more than 60% of the world uh, is religiously connected with this part of the world. So when you look at, you know, the more than 2 billion Christians and more than a, a billion plus the, the Muslims and the 13, 14 million Jews, 
and so, so, so and these people are everywhere. So they are not all uh, all actually really in the uh, uh, in the the outer world. So, so very soon you realize that this the, this region has to be globally connected uh, because uh, the 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 pilgrims, uh, be they be Christians, be they be uh, Muslims, be they be Jews, they have to come here. Uh, because there is a religious connection. And in fact, the matter there is when I started looking at the data, uh, what you find there is that the close to 70 million people actually every year travel to this region. And some of them, of course, would be within the region itself. You know, Saudi is going to Egypt, uh, uh, going to Jordan. But the fact of the matter there is that when you have 70 million people, and next highest is France. So this is the whole world I'm talking about now. So if the 17 million people uh, from all over the world, including the region, are traveling, uh, you realize that, my God, these, these people have to be globally connected. You know, the, 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 there are 13, 14 million people who go to Egypt, 9, 10 million people, maybe more actually now go to Morocco for vacations. Jordan gets a lot of the tourists. Saudi Arabia gets the people who go for uh, uh, Hajj and Umrah, uh, you know, 7, 8 million people every year who go there. Dubai gets a lot of the tourists for uh, the, the business. So naturally, when these people are so much globally connected, that means the hospitality industry has to be very good. That means uh, the, the airline in, uh, the airline should do also should also be doing quite well. Uh, that means the people who are interacting with these people also understand what's going on in this world. So then, why wouldn't they know about uh, the global brand? And uh, so. So that's the reason, you know, when I looked at that, you know, I realized that they are looking for good products. Now, it is true that quality-wise, there are still some perception there. Uh, for example, the, the, uh, the many of the multinationals know they actually try to produce the product within the region itself. And the reason for that is because there is a kind of, the, the if you will, the, the Arab League, or many of the countries in the Arab League has a kind of agreement with them about the tariffs and so on and so forth. So by producing the, the product in the region itself, uh, they can offer actually a, a product at a very competitive price. Because, you know, once they are there, Coca-Cola is competing with Pepsi and Unilever is competing with PNG and uh, L'Oreal is also competing with uh, PNG and others. So, so you know, the, 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 it's not any different than what you find here competition-wise. Uh, but producing it locally, then it helps. But locally, then, is also interesting. Typically, if the product, which you find in many of the developing countries, it's not only the, the other world, if the product is uh, produced in uh, Europe, uh, then, you know, people typically think it will be high quality. Uh, but in the region itself, if the product is produced in uh, Saudi Arabia, and uh, and after that, the UAE, uh, people's perception is that this is a very high-quality product. So anything produced in Saudi is really considered a very high-quality product, uh, not only in terms of the, the, the functional quality, but also people know that in terms of the, 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 the religious example, from the halal point of view, the product has met all the requirements. And so, so uh, and then, of course, it varies, you know, the, the just like any other developing part that you will see... Uh, you know, there are people, what in the book I call number one, Arabia one. You know, for them, doesn't make a difference where they are. They're going to look for Mercedes Benz and uh, 
you know, expensive cars and expensive hotels. And then you got the people at the lower end, what I call as Arabia 3. Same classification I had in my Africa book also, Africa 1, Africa 2, and Africa 3. And here also I have Arabia 1, Arabia 2, and Arabia 3. And there are people in Arabia 3, you know, you will find those poor people in uh, some of these countries like Mauritania and Yemen and Egypt and a few other countries. Uh, but uh, the excitement uh, is typically is always about the, the middle middle class, that is Arabia 2, which is the case with us also uh, in the U.S. You know, the, 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 our economies are really driven by the middle class, and that's exactly the excitement that you see about China and India, and how the middle classes are emerging. So I think what you see there is that this is Arabia 2, and the middle class families, uh, you know, the, it's kind of very interesting having traveled in so many countries, their focus is always about the family. Uh, their focus is always always about the children. And so they may not buy the most expensive one, but uh, they, they want the quality product. And the same thing I discovered in this, uh, in this country. Uh, the, there's a major, major family focus. So consequently, the, the grandmother or the mother occupies a very, very major uh, the space uh, in the relationship, uh, she keeps her family together, uh, the, 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 and uh, you know the, the, everybody listens to the grandmothers, and they want the best for the children. And so, so the quality, like uh, what you see in uh, developing countries, uh, other countries, is uh, the, the these people are exactly the same. You mentioned uh, the importance of the grandmother and mothers. Um, I think one of the common sort of misperceptions or assumptions of the Arab world is that women have little influence and little say in decision making. Could you talk about uh, the influence that women have and their their importance to businesses uh, in the Arab world and their influence on the consumer market? Well, I think that's a, the, the very much uh, is a stereotype perception I have, we have. I mean, I was myself born in the northern part of India. Uh, many, many years ago, and uh, my family where I grew up was a very traditional family, and I knew exactly my, the role that my mother used to play in the house. And uh, our, the perception that the, my mother would have outside, where it was always that my father is more important, he makes all the decisions, <laughs> but I knew who was making the decisions, and my family was not an exception. And uh, so, uh, coming from a large family, and I think the uh, the, the reason at that time that uh, the, uh, we are the first generation to get education, thanks to my mother. Uh, she herself got, you know, the, the, during those days she got married when she was 13. My father was 16, and uh, for some reason, because of her father, she had managed to get the eighth grade education, and nobody thought anybody was going to get married to her because she was already educated. She would write her name and read the Holy Scriptures. So I think those are the stereotypes. That, that what we're talking about. So here's uh, the, 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 what you see here is that, and why would a mother be any different? I mean, the, I don't know any mother, uh, maybe there are some, that, uh, who doesn't want the best for their children. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and they know how to get that done. Whether the, the men are helpful or not, I mean, through the savings and uh, the other ways, I mean, they, they know how to get that done. So these mothers are not any different. So the grandmothers are not any different. I mean, you talk to anybody, they will tell you 
the the what a the the great states they occupy in that relationship, and uh, so they are dominant force. That doesn't mean they have to be out there on the streets all the time, uh, just like my mother, and uh, that you know they are they are a very dominant force in the region. So they. Uh, the in many of the countries I saw that uh, the the some of the banks simply offers an account only for the women and they keep that they keep those accounts uh, you know for the rainy days uh, whatever the needs may be. Another I think misperception people have uh, of the Arab world, which you also address in your book, is that they treat the Arab world almost as one homogenous group. Could you talk a little bit about how companies have addressed the diversity within the Arab world, both religious diversity, the unique cultures within different countries, and even the fact that in some countries, such as Qatar, you have a very substantial uh, expatriate population? No, which is also very true, what you just said. Uh, <clears throat> first of all, not everybody in the Arab world is, uh, is a Muslim. You know, you find the 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 the, the, the Christians there uh, who are also Arab, and uh, then also not everybody in the Arab world is an Arab. Uh, you know, you do have the the, the non-Arabs in the sense that uh, uh, the Kurds and some other people don't consider themselves as the Arabs, and then of course you have a the huge population of. Uh, uh, expat, especially in the GCC countries. And other thing that you realize there is that when you go from, uh, you know, one side from Mauritania, uh, the, which, you know, which is, which is in Africa now, and then you go to the other side, to the east, uh, to let's say Oman or Qatar, uh, I mean, the time difference is like four hours. I mean, it's a huge place. But then you also realize that, uh, you know, the, the, they, they are very connected in the sense that uh, the North Africa is so close to uh, the, the, the Europe. You know, from, uh, from, uh, from uh, uh, Morocco or Algeria or Tunisia, I mean, you're like only two, three hours away uh, from, uh, from the major cities in uh, France and Spain. And... Uh, <coughs> And then on the, the then you see the influence of the Sub-Sahara, uh, because the, the, the Libya and the, the Algeria and then uh, Egypt, I mean, they're all connected uh, uh, with Sub-Sahara. So you also see that influence. And then you go on the east, uh, you know, when you're Qatar and the, the, the Bahrain or the, uh, the uh, Oman, uh, you see a major influence of uh, of South Asia, and so so the then that's the diversity that you need to understand. Uh, the 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 the, uh, the the you know the, depending upon where you are, uh, and even the Arabic language itself. I'm not an expert on the Arabic language. I mean, but I kept on asking them that uh, how do you develop a pan Arabic strategy. Uh, you know, just imagine, how do you decide the, the prime time now that there's a four-hour difference? I mean, the, the, so which Arabic accent, uh, the local language that you want to use if you want to have a pan-Arabic strategy? <coughs> so that was kind of very interesting to me. And, uh, <coughs> pardon me, so that was kind of very interesting to me. 
but then you realize that the, the, there are different other languages spoken also. So, so, so the companies, which I don't think any different from uh, some of the, the, the multinationals who, who have gone into other countries, uh, like, you know, how do you develop a pan, pan sub-Sahara strategy? Uh, how do you develop a pan-India strategy where there are so many languages spoken? Uh, and so, but I think these, these, uh, these, these companies are quite smart. And uh, I think the, the best quote I got was actually from, uh, uh, from uh, the chairman of uh, Unilever uh, in Dubai, uh, who handles this, uh, the, who manages, or uh, who is responsible for this uh, region, he says, you know, we are not a multinational company; we are a multi-local company. And so, which I thought was quite interesting. And uh, uh, having been there for so many years, these people have really understood the, the unique nuances of this region. And how, on one side, the Europe dominates; the other one, Sub-Saharan has influence, and South Asia has influence. And so, consequently, it's not unusual uh, talking about South Asia. It's not unusual to see the impact of the Bollywood movies uh, in this region. And uh, and you can see that actually that some of these companies actually use uh, Bollywood actresses for their advertising. So here I was in Morocco, which is the other end. And uh, on the billboards, you see L'Oreal actually using one of the Bollywood movie stars on their billboards. And then in uh, in uh, in the UAE, you see one of their uh, major uh, major airlines are very airlines with a very high growth rate now. Etihad using one of the Bollywood actresses also uh, as a brand ambassador. And so uh, so I think the 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 diversity that you see there is amazing. And you go to Lebanon, and my God, you see in Beirut itself, there are 16, 17 uh, religious groups there. But they are very proud to be, uh, very proud. So you talk to them, and they say, we are Lebanese. Uh, but, you know, they have 16, 17 different religious groups, all the way from various denominations of Christianity to, you know, the, the Armenians, and, you know, you name anything, I mean, they are such a tiny country. And they are very proud. So, so I think that diversity you have to understand. But the, still, the fact remains that dominant uh, population there is uh, uh, does follow Islam. So this would be like somebody coming to the United States, although we have so much diversity. Uh, but the fact that remains there is that when it comes to Christmas, I mean, Christmas dominates. Uh, the, the whatever we do here is such a happy time for us. And even if you're a non-Christian, even even the, the Christmas time is a very happy time because all around you there's nothing but happiness and celebration. And uh, so the same thing that you see there are, if you're, for example, in India, uh, Diwali, which is a festival of light, is a very happy time. And although there's a lot of diversity in languages and the the the, the, the not everybody's a Hindu there, but Diwali is a very a very big celebration time. So I think the same thing that you'll find in the, the, the Arab countries that, uh, uh, that there are certain aspects of the Islam which are very important. So that's what I have argued in the book, that as a good marketeer, just like I would try to understand how the, 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 the Christmas works there if I was coming from outside and want to do business here, uh, what the impact of Diwali would be in India. Uh, I mean, I would try to understand if I was operating in that part of the world the principles of Islam, not that because I want to the, the, 
the 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 uh, the, well, I guess I want to understand that because I want to understand that the, the how that the, that religion actually plays a or principles of the religion plays a dominant role. So, for example, right right now, uh, as you know, that uh, we have Ramadan, and my God, I can't even imagine myself fasting continuously for thirty days. Uh, but uh, but you have to respect it. And if uh, my colleagues and my friends were fasting for 30 days, I mean, would I drink water in front of them? Would I sell them food in the middle of the day? Uh, would I join them in the evening when they break their fast for celebration? Would I try to understand that if somebody has not eaten for the whole day, what is the first thing they should do after the fast? What kind of food should they eat? Uh, and uh, then would I try to understand that after the Ramadan is over, uh, what kind of celebration they have? Would I participate in that from the business point of view? And I think a good businessman, uh, the good entrepreneur would tell you, yes. If I have decided to operate in that part of the world, I really need to understand all that. That the, the so I think the, the the so that's the chapter that you see where I have argued that uh, a good entrepreneur, good company would try to understand, uh, despite the fact that there is so much diversity. They will still try to understand the, the dominant uh, role that uh, Islam plays in the region. One uh, example you mentioned in the book that I found interesting was of uh, KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and how they have uh, they have stores all over the world. They have lots in the Middle East, but that you noticed that uh, local chicken uh, restaurants was it uh, Al Bake was far more popular and that sometimes the local sort of chain, the community chain, is <coughs> far bigger and far, you know, favored than the, uh, the international one or the, the large corporation. Did you find that, uh, do you think it's better for brands and companies trying to expand over to the Arab world to maintain their sort of native branding or do you think it would be better for them to try and adapt more of a local flavor and possibly, you know, change sort of what what they are to adapt more to the local market? Well, I think there are, there are three questions actually, sub questions in your question. First is that the, the, just like any other developing country, uh, you cannot go into the other world thinking that you won't find any local competitors. There are some very, very, very good local competitors. And that should be obvious because if the local entrepreneurs, uh, the local entrepreneurs uh, may not know, may not have access to the global advertising, but uh, the successful global entrepreneur. So that's the story about Albac. Albac was not, the story was not to say that KFC is not doing well. That was to indicate uh, that uh, you will find the local entrepreneurs. And, uh, and, you know, they may not be known all over the other world, but they have a local brand name. Uh, Almera is another company that comes from Saudi Arabia that has a very good brand name. Uh, they produce milk. <laughs> so it's, uh, <clears throat> it was interesting for me to imagine that uh, there is a huge milk producing company in, uh, uh, in Saudi Arabia. And uh, so now they have, a, I think they have an alliance with more Pepsi now. Uh, so I think the first the the part of uh, first part you have to realize there is that just like anywhere any part of the world that you will go, that there are some uh, good local local players, 
they may not be across the entire region, you know, just like Albac, but they're good, good local players. Now, second thing they have to realize there is that, uh, that you have to really understand uh, the, the local preferences. And the reason you need to understand local preferences is because first keep in mind that uh, the, the, the one thing that you quickly understand, especially in the, the GCC, is the temperature. So, so when the, the, the weather is very hot and weather is very dry, and uh, so that has an impact. What you eat, uh, what you don't eat, and when you eat, that's the reason that very quickly you find that many of these people actually eat very late. Uh, some other countries, you can't do anything in the middle of the day. So, so I think that so whether you are local or you are multinational, you have to understand uh, the local the consumer behavior. Now, third most important thing in your question there is about the brand. What the multinational brand stands for is really the quality. That is, it's more than just uh, the, uh, when people talk about lips and tea, it's not only the tea that they're giving, it's uh, what, the, 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 what the process they may have gone, the quality controls they may have gone to produce that uh, product. And so, so, and that's what the branding stands for. And so, so the, so whether it's KFC or whether it's McDonald's, McDonald's, for example, you know, is doing quite well there. Uh, they have to understand that, uh, you know, the, the, the product has to be a halal, otherwise, you know, they won't be able to, uh, the, so the majority population. And they also have to understand that during the Ramadan time, most of the business is going to come uh, in the evening or at night. <coughs> but the one the good thing about McDonald's Day is that uh, people know what to expect. So the the the, the quality that the, the people would expect from uh, you know the, the the ketchup they give you or the the French fries they give you or uh, the the clean bathrooms they give you. So no no you don't compromise on your brand, but you do like I said you do do try to understand the local competition and you do try to understand the consumer behaviors, which may not be universal. In the sense that whatever people expect in uh, in uh, India, or the U.S. or, the, or France it may not be the, exactly what people are expecting. That, but a good a good entrepreneur will do that, and uh, so these multinationals also do that. PNG uh, understands this very well. I mean, they are one of the largest companies in the region, and PNG uh, and Unilever are the largest advertisers in the region. Between uh, two of them. So, so the, if they are, if two multinational are the, the largest advertisers, uh, advertisers in the region, you know that they, they, they care about their brand. Uh, you know that they have understood the region quite well. Could you talk uh, <clears throat> a little bit about uh, the rise of uh, technology in the Arab world and the influence that's having on uh, Arab markets? Okay, now technology part is quite interesting. <laughs> in the sense that uh, uh, the the as I have mentioned uh, in the book uh, the the uh, first from the consumer point of view and then the entrepreneur's point of view from the consumer's point of view the social media is just amazing the penetration of the mobile phones is very amazing some of the poor countries where people cannot afford uh, the new phones uh, like let's say a certain population in Jordan or uh, in uh, in Egypt or Yemen, so there you do find actually uh, the, the the Jordan, for example, I found uh, 
uh, in fact, I visited uh, the markets where you can find used uh, the branded uh, the telephones. You also find the Chinese uh, telephone. So I think the the the, the so when you look at the penetration of the the mobile, it's amazing. Uh, then you look at the penetration of the, the internet is amazing. Uh, some of these countries like Qatar and the broadband and all that is amazing. Uh, and then the, 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 you also find the local companies like the, the Maktoub uh, started by a local entrepreneur, a social media company, then was bought by Yahoo. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge, huge news when I was there. That first time a the U.S. company has actually bought a bought a local uh, local company. And other reason this was very interesting was because uh, the first Yahoo won't go there unless they understand that it is a market. Uh, Yahoo was very happy that somebody has developed the content in Arabic. Uh, yeah, you know because uh, the, they if you want to go there, you need to understand uh, that you need to develop the Arabic content. And the third, I think it was a major, uh, the major incentive for the entrepreneurs. Uh, they realized that they also have uh, one more exit strategy. And one more exit strategy there is that uh, in addition to, of course, uh, selling your company to somebody and uh, maybe go for an IPO, uh, that you have one more uh, interesting exit strategy that uh, some of the big names may come and buy you out. And so that was a good signal for the entrepreneurs. And uh, so, consequently, the Jordan is amazing. Many of these entrepreneurs are actually from Jordan. Uh, but that doesn't mean they are not doing the other countries also. Kuwait, I was quite amazed. Uh, same is the case I saw in Egypt and other places, and also North Africa. But I think uh, Jordan actually has become a very interesting hub. Uh, there, are, there are entrepreneurs that, uh, who are doing some amazing things on animation. In fact, the one company does animation, at least for the, the U.S. to the, the Hollywood, uh, for Kuwait, the, the one entrepreneur who used to live in, in New York City uh, has developed some amazing uh, the series of uh, uh, the, the cartoon books. Uh, he's also developing parts and also developing movies. And then in the technology side, the, you also see the the... the you know, the, the media, satellite technology is amazing. Uh, that's the reason that some of these uh, the, the networks are able to develop a pan-Arabic strategy like NBC based in Dubai. And uh, they develop amazing content uh, for, the, for the Ramadan time and even the rest of the year. And then other thing that you see there is, like I mentioned before, the influence of their neighbors. It's not only South Asia, I forgot to mention about Turkey. So Turkish soap operas have uh, amazing uh, influence, and so they are dubbed into Arabic, uh, the Egyptian Arabic, uh, kind of the called the textbook Arabic, and so so even the the what you see the the uh, you know the the even the media that you see is just amazing. So I think the the technology wise this region is very receptive, and other thing that I mentioned there is when 70 million people are traveling. More than 70 million people are traveling. Like when I went to Egypt, I was calling back home. So there's an opportunity. I was calling my children and or my office. So here I was on Skype and here I was uh, on the mobile phone and uh, uh, not necessarily from the hotel even when I was traveling, uh, doing my market visits. 
So I think consequently that you see there is that the, the technology is just amazing. Uh, the, and also culturally, I think in some of the countries what you see there is that uh, uh, the, in few countries where there are some limitations on the on the youngsters, you know, whether they can get together with each other or not, or how to then socially mingle, especially male-female, uh, social media is an amazing thing. Uh, it has just given them one more outlet to connect with the rest of the world and with their no restrictions. So, you know, if uh, you are sitting in uh, uh, the house in, uh, in Saudi Arabia at 8 o'clock and, uh, you know, the, 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 you're a female, my God, Internet is just uh, the, the, opens the whole world. So you can develop your own communities, which Mubakub does. And uh, you can come and chat and uh, discuss your ideas. And uh, more important than that, you know, the, 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 you also see a lot of these very successful female entrepreneurs uh, in the, on the technology side. So technology, I think, is very vibrant. Movie industry, in some countries, a lot of things have kind of come down, but I think it's, it's going to just, after the things settle down, they're going to go back and maybe even at much higher levels. <coughs> So I, I have also interviewed a couple of very interesting, uh, well-known uh, people from the movie industry in uh, in Egypt. I had also interviewed some of the presidents of this, uh, the the major networks. So it's quite exciting, actually. But you know, interesting thing there is that you also have to realize that uh, uh, the 10 percent of the North Africans uh, they they are immigrants to Europe. Okay. Then you also realize that we also have a very vibrant, uh, the Arab-American population here. And so they also want to be connected. So they are talking to their families back home. Uh, the, the, uh, so consequently, you see here, uh, like, uh, for example, DishNet, uh, uh, if you subscribe to that, you can get all the Arabic channels on your television. So, so same is the case, for example, in Europe. These guys are still getting their uh, the Arabic channels. And then, uh, since we were talking about the expat, why the technology will be so such a big deal there, uh, also this expat are connected back home. So my driver, for example, uh, the Indian driver in Dubai, for example, has to telephone from both the companies, both the mobile companies, because uh, depending upon uh, who's offering him special discounts to call his family back home in India, uh, he was using that. And then he also had a... About a laptop, and he was speaking with his children uh, through Skype. And so, so I think, uh, you know, when I said that they're globally connected, I really mean that. So they, they uh, uh, because of the, you know, so many people go there, and then so many people are working there, and the, uh, the diaspora that you see. So, and then the business itself. I mean, you know, the, the Dubai is a major hub. And uh, the Morocco, you know, they look forward to France. So that's why you see a big, big, really, uh, the emergence of technology. Based on your conversations, both with the multinational corporations and also local merchants, what effect do you think uh, the Arab Spring will have on markets there and businesses looking uh, to possibly expand or businesses that are already operating in the Arab world? Because it seems like there, that could uh, the instability that's currently facing the region could possibly reinforce uh, fears they might have that expanding to the Arab world or 
you know, starting operations there might not be worth the risk. Okay, now again, there is a part to your question, so let me first talk about the other spring. Uh, incidentally, the other spring happened after I finished my travel. So I finished my travel in November 2010. So that's when I had gone to Syria and Sudan and Libya and uh, some other countries. And so I think in the book, especially the chapter that I have used, the chapter starts with a study that uh, Coca-Cola very kindly shared with me. And Coca-Cola had tried to understand this youth uh, because they know that fertility rate is very high youth. It's one of the highest in the world in the region. And so the youth population is very, very important for them to, to connect with them in the future. So what they had done was they started tracking the, the youth who were born in the 1990s. So, for example, the study was done in 2007. So these were the people who were mostly teenagers by that time. And so one way to understand the youth there is to really understand what they have been exposed to since they were born. And that picture that they shared with me, which was very long, so I did not put in the book, but I have talked about that. So what you have to see there is that what these young people who were born in the 1990s, who are the young people now, you know, so the, 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 they are not teenagers anymore. So that's the young people that you see 20, 21, 22 years. So what these people were exposed to since 1990, and that's really amazing. Uh, the, although the study was done in Morocco, but I think it, it's quite universal for the, the rest of the region. Uh, this is the time that uh, they got exposed to the, the international brands, Nike and you name it. Uh, this is the time that even the, the, the shows like what we have, you know, the, the American Idol, they had the recurrent shows there, uh, they popped up. And this is the time they got exposed to some of the, the major Bollywood actors and actresses like uh, the Brad Pitt and others. And so uh, this is the time they also developed their local heroes, you know, the singers and the actors and uh, whatnot, both television and the uh, movie. And so and this is also the time they got exposed to the computers and social media and uh, satellite technology and so on and so forth. So what you find there is that these kids are... <coughs> very savvy. I mean, they're very smart. And they're not any different from, uh, from my, for example, I would say, but my children in this country. Uh, the, the, uh, so they're, they're very smart. And so they, their mindset is very different from their parents' mindset because of the exposure that they had uh, since the 1990s. So, but at the same time, you know, the, the economy has to really grow at a rate that these kids, smart kids can also do smart things. Uh, when I was growing up, my number one priority was to find a job with the government, which I couldn't, uh, because that was supposed to be really the mindset when I was growing up. Uh, but my children don't have that mindset. So I think this, uh, the, 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 this kid, very smart kids uh, who are participating there are spring, my hats off to them. They're just telling the rest of the world that we are as smart as anybody else and, uh, uh, the, the, we also need uh, opportunities. No, also very interesting thing about the region there is that, uh, I mean, just can you imagine uh, <coughs> uh, that, you know, like for example, that my son got married last December. So can you imagine if we have a, a culture here which says that a boy has to have a apartment, not rent. He must own an apartment before he gets married. So, so if you don't have a job, how are you going to have an apartment? Mm-hmm. 
So consequently, what you see there is, which is a discussion I have in the book, the average age of the marriage in many countries is going up. And then, uh, the, the, also imagine that in some countries, not in all, in some countries, the, 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 the culture also says, and this has nothing to do with Islam, but culture also says that, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, not only you should have an apartment, I mean, not only job, but not only apartment, the apartment should be furnished. So before you go, so, you know, when you, the wife comes, uh, the, your spouse comes, I mean, she has, uh, you know, the, all the things that she needs to set up her house and start a family. So, so the average is going up because of the lack of opportunities. But uh, the, so, so fact that this is happening does not surprise me. But it's a mixed blessing. I think in the short term it's going to affect. Uh, there is going to be some soul searching, which uh, the, the would be good thing for this region to do. But it's not in all countries. I mean, you know, when you realize that there are uh, the, the 18, 19 countries that I visited, only five, six of them are, are going through this issue. So it will force the region also to think creatively that how do we solve this, uh, this, uh, uh, this, this uh, the, the youth issue. But the fact of the matter is that they have a big, big influence on the growth. So first of all, imagine that when these kids get married, they want to buy an apartment. So that has a major impact on the real estate industry. So once they have an apartment, then they want to furnish that. So that means that has a major influence on the people who sell you furniture, people who sell you washers, people who sell you dryers, people who sell you television. Uh, so, I mean, you name anything that, you know, the, anybody who's interested in selling you things from the, for the household. And so it will also force the region to think, are we giving the right training to this youth? For example, the fact that they get 70 million tourists, I mean, I kept on thinking, you know, so why don't, don't they have a major school that uh, is on the, uh, the, on the hospi hospitality industry? So could Cornell, they have opened a medical school in, uh, in Qatar. Uh, could they, for example, their school of uh, hotel management, I think they call it, uh, something like that. Uh, could Cornell actually open a major school there uh, to train people for the hospitality industry? Uh, so I think uh, that this is really going to be a very interesting soul-searching process. Now, this this issue is not any different from many of the developing countries. So, for example, in my Africa Rising book, I have also the section there, what I call Cheetah Generation. And this is not my work. This is an anthropologist from Ghana. Theta generation means that these people, that they don't have, versus the hippo generation. Meaning that the older generation, the hippo generation, they want to move on their own pace. But theta generation, because of the technology and, you know, when they see the Olympics, you know, what the, the youth can do. So, uh, uh, so I think that, the, so these actually, the, 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 throughout the world, in the developing world, you will see the equivalent of theta generation in, in, in Africa. So I think that the, some of those countries have been able to convert that into opportunity, so what they call demographic dividend. So a good example of that would be whenever you look at India, they'll tell you that it's a demographic dividend. Uh, demographic dividend in the sense that there are many things that youth is able to do, like, for example, being very technology savvy that older generation cannot do. Uh, youth also does not have the mindset that the previous generation had, the colonial mindset. And uh, so, so the, the so I think the question now is that uh, the can this uh, the 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 other can be actually converted into a demographic dividend. 
And personally, I feel very optimistic. I think in some other countries, it's already happening. Uh, Qatar, I think, has done a phenomenal job of creating all those wonderful universities, not only for the their own population, which is very small, but for the region. Uh, I think the, the, the Dubai, for example, many of the universities, U.S. universities and Europeans are opening their campuses. Uh, but I think the key question there is uh, what kind of skills will be needed in the region to really flourish. Uh, education by itself may not be enough, which is the same issue we have in this country. So, I mean, imagine we have 8 percent, uh, 8 point some percent unemployment, uh, the, and probably, uh, you know, number of them are probably the young people there. So we are also dealing with the same issue. What do we do with that? You know, how do we get these people employed? And then we keep on going back to the private sector. Hey, you know, uh, create growth, growth opportunities. Uh, the, uh, look at the world as a market. Uh, the, the look at 300, 300 million of us in this country as a market. Uh, de you know, develop new skills, give new skills as we need for the future. So I think that region also is dealing with a very similar issues actually. That uh, the, how do you create a workforce for the future? Uh, and a number of the companies told me, they said we have jobs but we can't find people. And uh, the local people. So consequently they, they land up actually hiring people from the expat community. So because uh, you know, the business must go on. So, but I think uh, I'm optimistic. I think this generation, when I looked at Coca-Cola study, I said, oh my God. I mean, these kids are very, very bright. And their exposure, and their exposure is just amazing. And both the girls and the, uh, the boys and the girls, so it's not only the, the boys' story, uh, because when you look at uh, the percentage of the people uh, who are going to university, it's the more women who actually were going there. And when you look at the percentage who graduate, it's actually more women who graduate. Mm -hmm. So it's not a story of only the boys, it's the, you know, the story of uh, the, both the boys and the girls. And uh, if some of them decide not to work, it's just because uh, that culture is very strong, that uh, uh, the, the, the mother, there are certain expectations. No, not from the society, but uh, the, from them themselves. You know, a mother has a certain way of making sure that she takes care of her family, and she takes care of her herself. That's also a very interesting thing that you find in the woman market there. Because when she takes care of herself, there's a signal that she's, uh, she can also take care of uh, uh, her family, her children. And uh, so consequently, the, the number of these companies have understood that aspect that uh, uh, she's very conscious about uh, what she does about, about herself, how, how she wants to look. Um, so I think the, the our thing is, like I said, it's a mixed blessing. It's mixed in the sense that right now some of these countries, for example, Egypt, and uh, uh, they are going through certain turmoil. Uh, but the fact of the matter there is that people are uh, eventually people are not going to stop going to Egypt to see the pyramids. Uh, people are not going to stop going to Egypt uh, to uh, uh, the Nile cruises. Mm -hmm. uh, the Suez Canal is not going to shut down. So the 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 uh, and then being the largest country population-wise in the region, I mean, people are not going to ignore those 80-plus million consumers uh, in, in that country. Uh, the, so there's a lot of history, a lot of, a lot of the, 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 you know, the, the traditions there. So I think sooner or later, the, the uh, hopefully sooner, things are going to settle down there. And uh, every developing country actually has gone through that. 
Well, VJ, thank you for uh, taking the time to talk with me today. Uh, if you could, before I let you go, could you talk about uh, what projects you have that you're working on now? Okay. Well, I think uh, the my the last three books that I mentioned, eighty six percent solution, Africa Rising, and No, the the other word. Um, one of the things that I realized there is that I really did not understand the urban non-urban story. Uh, in the sense that, uh, uh, I mean, when I travel to these countries uh, in Africa and Asia uh, and the Middle East to the uh, for my books, I went where the company's headquarters were because, you know, I basically went there to understand and get the information. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter there is that when you look at China, China close to, uh, you know, more than half of their population, which is, you know, 700 million people, they're living in the non-urban areas. India has, uh, again, about 700 million people. Egypt is uh, no exception. Uh, so, in, in fact, uh, Pakistan and the, the, the Bangladesh and Indonesia, so, you know, a lot of the population actually is in the non-urban areas. And so, 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 and, but I looked into this issue a little bit in the Arab market. And, uh, GCC countries, for example, tend to be highly urbanized. You know, Saudi Arabia and UAE and Qatar and Kuwait. I mean, you hardly have any rural areas there. So, so, and as compared to like, let's say, Yemen or Egypt, the Morocco for that matter, or even Algeria. <coughs> So I think uh, the, 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 then I kind of got really convinced myself that uh, uh, the, in the emerging markets, 86% of the world, uh, sooner or later we're going to saturate and all these companies are going to fight for the urban market. But that's where now the opportunities are going to come from in the future. You know, what do you do once you leave uh, Shanghai? What do you do once you leave Beijing? What do you do once you leave uh, the uh, Cairo? Uh, what do you do once you leave uh, Casablanca? What do you do once you leave Mumbai, or New Delhi, or Chennai? So, 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 I think the story is really going to be really that the can our companies. Uh, I'm sure the locals probably have understood that. That I'm kind of taking the, the coming from the 14% of the world. Uh, I'm trying to understand that the, the what is the big deal about this world market, and I think in terms of the even. You know, in the development area, when people look at that, their issues are also going to be in the in the rural market. And so, so the so next next project that I'm looking at, uh, the, again, I'm going with the same set of the company. I'm trying to figure out that uh, the, what are the market opportunities in the rural areas. Something I'm calling as the last mile marketing. So that the and I think that technology is playing a major role, mobile technology especially. Uh, and I saw that also in the, in the UAE because they had many of the the, the workers there, expats and the expat community. They have come from very very small towns, uh, but they are talking in Skype with them and they are sending them the money back home. So now the question there is that the somebody must have figured out a way to actually really remit. You know, $200 that somebody selling from Dubai to some remote village in Bangladesh or the, the Philippines or Indonesia. So, so the, my next project actually is still consistent with the, my theme of the, 
my passion for the emerging markets, telling the stories of the emerging markets. So this will be actually looking at the story of the non-urban centers, see the, the, what the next frontier is going to be for, the, for us. Excellent. Well, thank you again uh, for taking the time to talk with me this morning. No, you're very kind, and thank you so much. I hope your uh, listeners will like your podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of New Books in Middle Eastern Studies. And thanks again to Vijay Mahajan for taking the time to talk about his book, The Arab World Unbound. You can find more information about the program and listen to past episodes on our website, newbooksinmiddleeasternstudies.com. Also, if you have any comments or would like to suggest a book or author for a future show, there's contact information on the website as well. If you enjoy these shows, please consider taking a minute to rate and review them on iTunes, which will help more people find the program. Thanks for listening.